Welcome to Trib Talk. I'm Jennifer Napier-Pierce with the Salt Lake Tribune. More snow is on the way this week, but the mountain snowpack is still low, and we've had above normal temperatures for at least the past month. Today on Trib Talk, we're talking about the very real prospect of drought and whether Mother Nature will turn things around. Joining me on the Google Hangout today is Brian McInerney. He's a hydrologist with the National Weather Service. Joining me here in the Tribune newsroom. Brian, great to see you again. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Jennifer. Also with us, Randy Julander, Snow Supervisor for the Natural Resources Conservation Service. Randy's also here in the newsroom, and Randy, welcome to you. Thank you, ma'am. And Salt Lake Tribune Outdoor Editor and Environmental Reporter, Brett Prettyman is with us. Brett, hello. Hi there, how are you? Good, thank you. And you can join our conversation today. How would a drought affect your livelihood, your lifestyle. You can send your thoughts to the hashtag TribTalk on Twitter and Google Plus or put them in the comments section of our page at sltrib.com. Brian, I'll start with you. Give us the bad news first. How bad is it? We're better after this weekend. We had up to seven inches of precipitation in the form of water across the northern Wasatch and that helped out tremendously. If we go south of Tippinogus, we find that we're not doing very well at all. We've got the Virgin River Basin somewhere less than 50% of normal. We have water forecast uh, volume coming out of the mountains at 35% at the outlet of the Virgin. So the farther south you go, the worse we are. We've improved greatly in the north. And what's nice is the high pressure ridge that's dominated our weather has broken down for the most part. And we've got zonal flow coming right out of the Pacific, bringing lots of moisture. Uh, okay. More of that would be better. <laughs> more, more is better. But um, uh, Randy, put it into some big picture context for us. I mean, we've had several years where we haven't had good, uh, so-called normal precipitation, right? That is correct. Uh, this is the third year, third consecutive year. The last year we had above average, of course, was 2011. That was a fantastic year. We were able to cap all of our reservoirs. We put like 650,000 acre feet of storage into Bear Lake in one single year. It was just uh, an amazing situation. Uh, agriculture has been living off of that uh, surplus for the last three years. Um, pretty much across all of the basins and so you look at the the big picture and we we look at places like Utah and we're in actually pretty decent shape compared to California which is where a lot of the vegetables and things come from this storm helped them out as well but they were down in single digits and most of the area is certainly less than 20 percent so um, overall We've been very dry for three years, and as Brian mentioned, this storm was uh, really a lifesaver at this point, uh, a game changer. Hmm. We're up 20, uh, anywhere 15 to 25 percent in northern Utah as far as our snowpacks are concerned. Oh, well, that's all good news. That's terrific. But uh, yet we've had this dry trend, and, and Brett, as you've gone out and you've talked to the people who depend on water, um, uh, recreationalists and water managers and uh, hotel years by the the national parks I mean is this sort of looming um, what what are they saying to you as far as uh, drought conditions are concerned well those uh, all those parties you mentioned are, are always paying attention to what's going on in the water cycle and what's happening here in Utah and in other states uh, you know the Colorado rivers headwaters are not here the greens headwaters are not here so sometimes 
those states uh, or those headwaters can be doing better than ours. So those people are always watching that. Um, the Colorado River has been super low the last couple of years, impacting a lot of people who um, come to Utah to, to whitewater raft on the Colorado. Um, and it's, uh, it is an impact. Ranchers are watching it. It seems like it's, you know, kind of feast or famine. It's either too much water and we're um, worried about flooding and, um, and the issues with dams and having to open up gates and, uh, and, or it's the opposite. It's, you know, we don't have enough of it. And that seems to be the cycle that we've been in the last little while. Mm. Talking about dry conditions in the state of Utah, what it will take from Mother Nature to avert a drought this year. And you're welcome to join our conversation again. Send your thoughts to the hashtag TribTalk on Twitter and Google Plus or put them in the comments section of our page at sltrib.com. Uh, this from our comments section, Emerald Twilights writes, forget fasting and prayer, it's time to throw a virgin into the volcano. Um, I mean, I, I guess there is uh, some you know, scariness, some fear associated with the prospect of drought, and yet um, it's not a foregone conclusion, which is good. Um, let's go back a little bit further, though, to how you how you predict, how these forecasts are created. And Randy, maybe you can give us a quick primer on um, on water outlook. You betcha. What we start with is the collection of snowpack and precipitation data from the mountainous areas when we look at where Utah's water comes from. You're looking typically 95 to 99 percent of it comes from mountain stream flow and it all comes down in a short period of time, uh, typically April through July. The amount of uh, runoff that's contributed from precipitation during the summer is actually quite small. And so knowing snowpack, and which is what we do, we go out and we collect all of that kind of information on how deep the snow is, how much water is in the snow, how much precipitation has fallen, what the temperatures are, what the soil moisture is doing, and from that we can run uh, hydrologic models that can predict how much water we're going to get over that period of time, and from that we're able to assist agriculture, hydroelectric generation, all of the cities and municipalities and management of that resource, knowing what you have. Uh, we make predictions, uh, Brian makes predictions, um, we send these out and then water managers are able to take that information and say, given what we have, how much water each entity is going to get. In this particular year where we're water short, um, typically agriculture is the one that's going to get hit the hardest. Brian, uh, explain uh, about uh, the soil moisture. I mean, why is that important? Um, Randy mentioned it as one of the measures that you guys look at. What, what does that mean? <clears throat> so if you take a look at how, how this, the runoff is going to occur, if you put a lot of snow on top of a dry sponge and then you melt that snow, it infiltrates into the sponge and you don't really see it come out onto the floor. Now let's change it around and we'll take that sponge and we'll put it in a bucket of water, fill it with water till it's totally saturated, we'll put that snow on top, we'll melt it, then you're going to see a lot more runoff come off of that sponge and onto the floor. And that's what we saw in 2011. We had a large snowpack but we had saturated soil so your runoff efficiency becomes that much greater. Uh, unfortunately this year we've got dry soil so we're going to lose a good amount of runoff into the soil moisture which won't be seen in the streams and that's a problem. If we could somehow uh, produce a lot of rain and a lot of melt and then have a cold wet spring that alleviates some of that dry soil but when you have that 
warm, dry spring where it starts early. You start melting in March. Then the dry soils really start to play havoc with the runoff. And you can lose up to 50% of your snowpack moisture uh, just due to evaporation, and it just goes away. You just don't see it. You want saturated soils for a more efficient runoff. Mm. And and the runoff of course affects the the stream flow the, the the amount of water that's in our water in our rivers and in our streams. I understand uh, quite a few rivers in Utah are running below um, normal. The Provo, the uh, Virgin, the Six Creeks, I believe. Um, Brian, I mean, how significant is that? So when you look at the the runoff during the winter time, it's a good indicator of where you are with your groundwater and your soil moisture. After 2011, our streams were up 25-30% of, of average during the year following the, the spring, but then as we've gone into this dry period and now we're entering into our third year, you see the streams and rivers run a lot lower. And that's just an indicator of how low the groundwater is and how low the, the soil moisture is, and it's an indicator of how much you're going to lose once you start melting in the spring. Really what it is, it's the April time frame through the end of July. That's the time frame that you want the streams to be as high as they can up to the banks and filling reservoirs as much as possible without actually flooding and damaging structures. That's the optimum. If they run low in the wintertime, it's still okay, but it's that April through the end of July. That's when you want the greatest stream flow possible. Brett, we talked about how uh, it has economic effects. Drought would have an economic effect um, in terms of uh, river guides and anglers and recreation, um, but it also has an effect on wildlife. Absolutely, and uh, you know one of the things that, that can really be impacted um, from high water and low water is the Great Salt Lake where a lot of this water ends up going and uh, millions of shorebirds and waterfowl are impacted by the fluctuating levels um, going up or down. Obviously down is a lot worse in that case. But all other wildlife is impacted um, by their ability to find food and it forces them to do things that they probably wouldn't do, which then ends up creating urban conflicts with uh, depredation issues with farmers and ranchers who do have um, hopefully you know, stuff for their cattle and domestic livestock. So there are all kinds of impacts. Um, anglers are impacted for sure. It, it can really wreak havoc on fisheries to have obviously no water. Um, but but boaters and and then there's taxes um, that that we all lose out on because those boaters are not buying registration, they're not um, buying gasoline, they're not visiting that gas station on the way down to get snacks. Um, it really impacts the entire economy um, when we don't have uh, our reservoirs full. Um, we are the second driest state in the nation. Um, but to compensate for that, we have a ton of reservoirs, and there's plenty of opportunity to get out and do those things that we all love to do in the, on the water. But when that water starts to go away, people start to look at other places and maybe start to go to other, other states to find their recreation. Mm. Randy, uh, expand on, on, on the reservoir situation. I mean, according to your report, storage in the reservoirs is about 48% of normal. I mean, that doesn't sound very good. Uh, that's 48% of capacity, and, and you're right, that's not uh, 
really good in that uh, particular sense. We've Since that 2011 really good year where everything filled and we had surplus and the Great Salt Lake came up, that kind of situation, re reservoir storage capacity has been steadily declining over those three years. We're about 10 percent less than we were last year and we're substantially down almost 20, 25 percent from where we were the year before. If you think of this in, in terms of economics, reservoir storage is what we have in the bank and the stream flow is our financial throughput, that's our salary. And if your savings are low and your uh, salary just got cut 50%, there's not a lot of opportunity to make a rebound into your savings. In fact, you're probably going to pull your savings down a little bit more. And that's the situation that we find ourselves in. Speaking with Randy Julander, he's the Snow Supervisor for the Natural Resources Conservation Service, also with us, hydrologist from the National Weather Service, Brian McInerney, as well as Salt Lake Tribune Outdoor Editor, Brett Prettyman, and we're taking your questions uh, to the hashtag TribTalk on Twitter and Google+, or you can put them in the comments section at sltrib.com. Uh, here's another comment from Magnetic North. Finite source of water plus ever-growing population equals drought-like conditions regardless of snowpack. At some point, the population will grow beyond that, which is will be considered anything other than drought conditions, but the lights in Vegas will be shining brightly. Uh, maybe put uh, population growth. I mean, our, our population is expected to boom in Utah over the next 20 years. I mean, what does the, the long-term uh, outlook in, uh, uh, in terms of water, um, how, how does that sort of fit into to the growth patterns that we're seeing, Brian? I think that's totally accurate. We're just going to have more people for really the same amount of water. And then we say, is the water going to stay the same? Are we going to have the same volume of water year after year? And now we're going to throw climate change into that. And what they've seen in the models indicate is that we're going to have a budget loss in terms of water supply. Uh, at some point, uh, probably 2060, 2070, our snow-driven hydrology will change to a rain-driven hydrology. And then we have to figure how do we manage that? Right now, we have snow in the mountains. We store it. It's clean. It stays up there till we need it. And when it melts, it comes down, and we dole it out in the summer, and it works very, very well. What happens when we have a warmer climate, and we have rain during the wintertime, and we have a warmer temperatures, increased evaporation, and we're going to have a budget loss. Add more people to that, and you have a big problem. It's going to come down to... How do we redistribute the water for the best common good? And that's going to be painful in the long run. Mm. Randy, do you have anything to add to that analysis? Um, yeah, there's, uh, it's, an, it's an interesting situation. Here in the state of Utah, currently, agriculture takes the biggest share of water resources. Um, and in the short run, what you're going to be seeing is a conversion of agricultural water to uh, municipal kinds of, of uses. What we're fundamentally going to do is change the way Utah looks. If you like to have agriculture, yeah, like to eat food, you like to have farms <laughs> and ranches, and you like to have cows and all those kinds of things out there, as there are more people come into the state, more of that agricultural water is going to be shifted over to municipal use. We're going to see less and less agriculture. That's, that's simply the fact of, of how things are going to go. Um, and at some point in time, you have to make those unpleasant decisions of um, 
how we fund water, where we get water, the, that finite pie is simply not going to increase and it may well decrease in, in some capacity. Um, but those are the decisions that we as Utahns need to be thinking about right now because it's going to define what our state looks like. Brett, well, I mean, what is the, the, the big picture conversation looking like? What, what are water managers looking at? Is it, is it purely a message of conservation? Or are there some other measures that are being considered as we look at the long-term forecast and, and, and ongoing drought situation? Well, conservation is obviously something that, that everybody's looking at. And Utahns, um, I think specifically along the Wasatch Front, are starting to realize that more and more. And they're doing a better job at trying to figure out ways to um, you know, not use water in a desert environment. You know, um, when I hear people in Utah complaining about rain or snow, I just say, well, you must not be a native. And they say, well, why do you say that? And I say, because you know that we live in a desert, right? I mean, we need every drop that we can get. And people um, have a tendency to kind of take it for granted in a lot of ways. And they say, oh, there's snow up in the mountains. We'll have snow. We'll have water to water my yard or my garden. Um, and it's not always that easy and not that simple. A lot of water conservancy districts are looking at ways to stretch the water. Um, and conservation is a main component of that. But they are, they're exploring other options as well of, of trying to secure water in different ways. Um, water rights coming from different resources like Randy mentioned with the um, agricultural. Um, but um, basically it, it really, um, ties down to this idea that it's up to us. I mean, we've all been talking about clean air lately, and, you know, there are two huge things that we've got to deal with, specifically along the Wasatch. It's air quality and, and water, and what we're going to do when we reach a population that exceeds the available water. It's interesting, though. I mean, current water policy does not favor conservation in some ways. I mean, if you don't use it, you lose it. Um, and I think that there's a mindset uh, among many users that, hey, you know, if if I, I particularly in agricultural, um, if they don't use their allotted amount of water, then it gets cut back the next year and they won't have it at their disposal when they need it. I mean, um, anyone want to jump in there on the on the big picture? I know this is a little bit off of our current drought topic, but it does seem to me that um, uh, the, the conservation message is sort of, um, I don't know, it's, it's twofold. Well, I think that a lot of people um, like to blame agriculture for that um, use it or lose it thing, but I also think that, that you know, uh, people in my neighborhood are as guilty of that as, as agricultural folks because they have their automatic sprinkler set on and they turn them on and they come on after four inches of rain has fallen. I mean, um, you know, like I said, we've all got to be held accountable for what's happening with water in, in Utah. Um, you're right, There's and there's a lot of groups that are working to try to change those laws and not make it so that you lose it if if it's you know if it's not used that year, um, it, water rights are a very very tricky thing and they're a very important thing. Um, water in the West has never been um, a guarantee and it's often overallocated in a lot of ways on based on numbers that don't exist that have never been around and uh, it's time to fine tune all of these things. Um, uh, to figure out how we're going to deal with it because it, it is going to be the you know the story of the next probably 10 20 years
Randy, you mentioned that the the southern part of the state is not doing quite as well as the northern part. Can you expand on that a little bit? I mean, where are the real trouble spots? What are you worried about when it comes to the geography of the state? You betcha. Uh, just one comment back on the, the agricultural water. When uh, things were first started in this particular state, uh, they determined how much water it would take in an agricultural context to produce a crop and that's typically about two feet of water. That's the net deficit that we have that precipitation doesn't make up. And so agricultural water is based on that and it was based on a flood irrigation concept where some of that would, would run in and some of that would run off. The uh, best conservation in agriculture is being able to go to a sprinkler system, which is phenomenally expensive, and for a marginal re uh, return on that investment in terms of cropping. In terms of southern Utah right now, basically everything south of I-70 is where we've, we're seeing the worst snowpacks, and the virgin is... Uh, sets the mark for the for the lowest snowpack in the state right now. That particular area um, we have a lot of concerns about. Southeast Utah over Monticello, Blanding, uh, the Abajos, the Blues, the LaSalle's, Moab are also exceptionally low. The Upper Severe, while it's, it's low, uh, still isn't in the threshold of those two. They're sitting in that 50, 60, uh, 65 percent of average snowpack and given that kind of a, a level and what we see in terms of soil moisture, the stream flow probably won't make it up to that. So you're looking stream flows in the in the range of 30 to maybe 50 percent of average. Mm -hmm. Think about that in terms of your salary. If you were an agricultural producer, you got cut 50 percent. That that hurts. It really does. Mm -hmm. Uh, Brian, we talked a little bit about soil uh, moisture and uh, as a measure. I mean, is that when we have the real dry conditions? Is that what the uh, is flooding the consequence? I mean, I remember last fall we saw f uh, flash floods in, in southern Utah, in Harriman, um, in Utah County. Um, how do flash floods sort of fit into the drought picture? <clears throat> so, if if you look at this in two ways, we have snow hydrology which is where we get our water supply from. And then depending on how much runoff we have, this, the, the uh, channels around here are formed by the streams they typically see. So they typically can handle what's going on. When we look at it's summertime flash flooding, what you have is the rain coming out of the sky at very intense rates, inch, two inch per hour rates, into areas that just cannot handle that intense rainfall and that resulting runoff. We had record flash flooding in August and in September to the tune of the National Weather Service issued about 130 flash flood warnings, and that's for the ones we knew of. Uh, it caused widespread devastation across many parts of the desert south, but it's, it's a desert. So while the channels are changing and things are being moved around, the, the, uh, the, the things that were damaged weren't that great. Up here, though, what we're seeing is we've got fires continually during the summertime that are started right next to the areas where people live uh, due to different reasons. But what that does, it increases the flood risk when you have springtime and summertime thunderstorms, and it's cause, causing debris flows, which are flowing directly right into some of the neighborhoods that are built high in the foothills. We're seeing more of that, and as we continue to increase our population, we're going to see more debris flows flowing into these high-end neighborhoods. And it's a very dangerous situation, especially with the warming climate. Mm. 
Uh, we've only got a few minutes left, but uh, Randy, you mentioned the, the troubles that California has seen. Fortunately, they got some moisture over the weekend, but um, drought is extreme right there, um, and, and and it's bad for agriculture, it's bad for the economy. What what are sort of the trickle effects, if I could use that term, uh, for us here in Utah of the California drought? Well, uh, the first thing you're going to notice is uh, California is the breadbasket of the United States when it comes to a lot of our vegetable crops and things like that up until this last storm and, and we're not completely certain how uh, how much this is, has changed the situation there in California certainly improved it but there were a lot of irrigation districts that were going to deliver zero water there are a lot of farmers who weren't going to plant a crop at all and many of them were trying to simply save their long-term investment in trees and shrubs uh, the things like avocados uh, your fruit trees and things like that that would take 10 years or longer to regenerate if they lost those due to the magnitude of this particular drought. That again diverts again from your broccoli and your cauliflower and strawberries and, and all the things that we really need and, and love to eat and that's probably one of the biggest things you're, that could impact Utah at this time is simply how much uh, it's going to cost to buy those vegetables because they're probably going to have to come from Florida and Texas places like that as opposed to uh, California. Mm. Brett, do you see that sort of caution uh, among farmers and ranchers here? Maybe, you know, wait and see approach to, to how to the volume of their crops this year? Uh, you know, it's it's hard to say. I think that it, it you know, as this last storm just indicated to us that, you know, uh, it as it, storms can make this up. I mean, it just depends on the weather cycle and what happens. Um, we are low right now, and, and chances are that we'll be low. But overall, th there could be some help. So I think that farmers uh, basically have to remain optimistic about all of this and, and plan because it is their livelihood. It would take a pretty serious thing like what's happening in California for them to decide not to go ahead with their plans for the year. But um, I also think that the California consequences are tying in other ways. Um, the Colorado River Compact um, uh, that, you know, Lake Powell and Lake Mead and then, um, you know, so Col uh, California gets a lot of its water from Lake Mead. They haven't used that, those rights in recent years. They're going to call on them this year. Lake Mead's going to drop. There's a new agreement that makes Lake Powell drop its water to help Lake Mead so that Nevada and Las Vegas specifically can still get its water. Um, it's, it's a trickle effect, just like you said, and it's, it's, it's going to reach to all of us in a lot of different ways. Um, maybe here in Utah we won't be as bad as what's happening in, in California right now, what could happen, uh, but we will feel the impact of drought there and, and possibly here. Final question for our experts. I mean, what has to happen to avoid drought this year? Brett, you've mentioned it, and um, Brian, you too. I mean, so much depends on the weather, but what exactly needs to happen for the drought conditions to, to go away? And Randy, I'll start with you. Um, we really need to have uh, significant storms um, on a monthly basis from here till, till April 1. Northern part right here is caught up, but southern part is still way behind, and we would like to see storms on a weekly. What we've had is a big storm, then nothing, big storm, then nothing. It would really be nice to have a little bit more continuity and consistency in getting storms on a regular basis. 
We'd love to see it. I don't know if it's going to happen. What about the temperatures? Is that something to worry about? Because it has been quite warm. Um, when you get warm temperatures, temperature is a, a fairly poor way of getting energy into your snowpack. Um, that said, warmer temperatures typically will accelerate your snow, uh, snow melt a week, two weeks, uh, something like that. Anything that uh, lengthens that snow melt period, which warm temperatures tend to do, means you experience greater losses and you get less efficient runoff. So, indeed, it'd be nice to be cold and wet. <laughs> okay, Brian, is that in the forecast? What, what do you see needs to happen for us to, to get rid of this drought prospect? So, so really, uh, a nice part of this is the giant high-pressure ridge that, that deflected all of our weather to the north of us and really shut out uh, most of the state. That's broken down, and what we now have is a zonal flow that last storm that we had came from Hawaii. It brought lots of moisture across the Pacific on a westerly track right into us. If we can keep the high pressure ridge totally broken down, or even if it does resume, move it back out over the Pacific to open the door for us, we could start seeing some more of these weather events. And when you look at our weather, it's been one of extremes. June was totally shut out from precipitation. August, September had record flash flooding. Then we had very long periods without any storms. And then we have these big storms like we just saw with seven inches of water in one storm cycle. When you look at the Six Creeks area just east of Salt Lake County, we need about 12 and a half, 13 inches of water by April 1st to bring us to normal. We just had seven in a storm. And if you would have asked us, if does this happen frequently? It certainly doesn't, but our weather has been one of extremes, so it's quite possible that this could happen between now and April 1st. Mm. All right. On that optimistic note, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. Brian McInerney, Randy Julander, and Brett Prettyman. I appreciate all of your uh, expertise at uh, this hour. Thank you. You're welcome. And you can find continuing coverage of water and many other environmental issues at sltrib.com. I'm Jennifer Napier-Pierce with the Salt Lake Tribune. Thanks for tuning in to Trib Talk. We'll see you next time.